0: At North Point Community Church, we are passionate about helping our community move toward a life fully devoted to Jesus. And we hope this message helps you do that. Thank you for tuning in. Good morning. Um, Just so we're clear, there are less than 50 days till Christmas. (laughs) Thank you, Rick. You just made my day, right? Um, And the whole Movember thing means growing facial hair. It doesn't count on your head for what I'm just, just saying, for whatever it's worth. Hey, I'm really, really excited about this series because I think that the next four weeks are, uh, are just going to give us lots to talk about and wrestle with as we talk about God's design for us. God's design for us individually as men, women, uh, in marriages, um, in singleness, in the church. What, what does that look like from scripture to have God's design for us? Let me give you some ground rules for the next three weeks. Let me give you three ground rules and it's very important that you kind of internalize these, okay? The first ground rule is this. Hear what I say or who's ever speaking. Hear what we say, not what you think we say, all right? Don't connect dots that aren't connected necessarily in the message. So um, some of the stuff that we're gonna talk about, you will be going... What? Did I hear that right? And um, take advantage of the opportunity to just go back and, and watch the message again on video. So glad that you're watching with us if you're live streaming. Listen to, to North Point Plus, uh, the podcast that comes out on Tuesday. Use, use what's in the app to ask lots of questions to clarify things and, and make sure that, that you're tracking with what's being said Particularly as it relates to the messages and how that gets fleshed out from God's word So the first thing is uh, make sure that you hear what's said not what's not said Uh, The second thing is search the scriptures for what's true If you've been around a long time you've heard me say it doesn't matter what I say It doesn't matter what somebody else says It doesn't matter what your your preacher when you were a kid said It doesn't matter what some guy on TV says It just doesn't matter what matters is what scripture says So use this series of God's design as a takeoff place to dive into God's word and to sort through was was what was being preached, was that accurate? And what's God's word say to me? The third third ground rule for the next several weeks is um, this is gonna be an elbow-free zone. You know what that means? That means when I'm talking to the guys, the wives aren't allowed to say, do you hear that? Do you hear that? Do you hear that? Um, when I'm talking to the to the ladies, the guys aren't allowed to say quietly. Did you hear that? Okay, elbow-free zone. Which me, what that really practically means is look at the application of scripture to your life, to what's going on inside you, um, and and let that don't be don't be listening for what it means for somebody else. Be listening to to what it uh, uh, calls you to do. So, so here's the truth, and Jake did a great job with this this, uh, this past week. As I watched um, from Columbus, Ohio, uh, last Sunday morning with a smile on my face, um, this truth is the truth that is foundational for this entire series about God's design. When God is your desire, you can trust his design. When God is your desire, you can trust his design. So much of the time, we focus on what we think our design is and then say, God, you've got you've to accommodate what I think. When God is your desire, you can trust his design. Here, here's what we know from scripture. Uh, all of us, all of us are broken. All of humanity is broken. We've all got stuff that we bring, uh, problems, baggage, all that kind of stuff. And God's design is that all of creation all of creation would come to be in relationship with him. That they would know and experience and, and, and would live in that redemptive love that he's given us through Jesus. We're all a mess. Nobody's got it figured out. Jesus came to save us. And that's so, that's so foundational to God's design for us. Um, God's design means that we can live each day with an awareness that the Holy Spirit is in us, that God's walking alongside us, that he's helping make sense of all of the circumstances of our lives, all the things that we're going through. Um, That doesn't mean that we'll never experience challenges, that we won't have problems, that there won't be health issues that we face, that we won't have financial struggle, that there won't be conflict in our life. God's love for us and design for us doesn't mean that all of that goes away. Because Jesus said, in this world, you'll have tribulation. You'll have trouble. It's going to be there. But God's design means that we're not doing it alone. We're not living on our, on our own. Um, so let's dive in and look at God's design for us because God created a very specific design. That's, that's what we're exploring. In Genesis chapter one, and again, if you've got the app, go ahead and pull that out. You can follow along the outline of the message and down at the bottom, there's a place that you can plug in questions. Feel free to plug in those questions because they, they are what makes the, the podcast that we do on Tuesday really fun. Genesis chapter one. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Don't miss this in God's design. There's a gender specific nature to God's design. God made men, and God made women, and they're not the same. No duh, Rick, right? Uh, We're different, Um, and God's design for us, the specific nature of his design, is different as well. He wired us differently. Um, Rachel Gilson, in her book, Born Again This Way, wrote these words, the male and female sexes were not accidental. God could have created three sexes or one sex, but he made two. So even in the smallest community of humans ever, these first two persons, diversity was present. And not only that, but there was unity because of diversity, not in spite of it. Both of them together made up humanity. If one were missing, humanity would be incomplete. If God's our desire, we can trust his design. God's design involves something different for men than it is for women. And he created those two sexes separately. So there's this interesting verse in the New Testament. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and the church in Corinth is a mess, all right? Paul's writing to say, this is what it looks like to be disciples of Jesus, but that had gotten lost in all of the stuff that they were experiencing in the church. There were sin issues. There were all kinds of bad things that were going on there, organizational issues, relational issues. And at the end of his letter to the church in Corinth, He says this, this is so interesting, and this is from the Amplified Bible. Before you put it up, let me just explain. Amplified Bible is a translation that fleshes out all the variations of the words in a a particular verse from the original language. So when you see something in brackets, that's fleshing out the original meaning of that word, okay? So this is uh, what Paul writes at the end of 1 Corinthians, of his first letter to Corinthians. Be on guard. Stand firm in your faith. And in your faith means in God, respecting his precepts and keeping your doctrine sound. Act like mature men and be courageous. Be strong. Paul says to the church in Corinth, act like men. Guys, act like men. What's that mean? Act like men. Anybody remember the press conference from about 15 years ago where the football coach said, I'm a man. I'm a man. I'm 40 years old come at me, I'm a man. Act like men, Paul. No, it didn't work with the, with the team ahead of time when I did that either. They didn't get it. It's, you have to be a geeky football fan to remember that, all right? Um, what's it mean to act like a mature man? How did God design a man to live? Parts of God's plan for, God's design for men are very individualistic. Uh, He creates some to be artists, some to create, some to be engineers. He creates some um, creative, some very methodical, some planners, some spontaneous, some introverts, some extroverts, some gardeners, some MMA fans. But other areas of his design, when you look at Scripture, seem to be universal. They seem to be a hardwiring that's there in the nature of the men that he created. That's what I want to look at this morning. Well, we want to take a, some, uh, take a look at some, some key scriptures to flesh that out. So we're just going to look at some scripture for the next few minutes, okay? Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Hear this. God's design for men is for them to be in relationship. It wasn't good for Adam to be alone. While he was made whole, he was incomplete. He needed someone along with him. The word helper in that original language in the Hebrew, it doesn't have anything to do with the ability to procreate, okay? It doesn't have anything to do with sex at all. What God was saying was, Adam by himself, he's, there's something missing. He needs to be in relationship. He needs somebody to come alongside him, somebody to be with him, somebody to do life with. God's design for men is for every man to be in relationship with God, the vertical relationship, and in relationship with others, horizontal relationships. God's design is not for men to live in isolation, to be a hermit or a lone ranger. God hardwired men to engage in the world around them. While it's possible for a man not to have any meaningful relationships in their lives, that's not part of God's design. God said, that's not good for Adam to be alone. God creates Eve out of Adam's rib, gives her to Adam, and God says, now that's very good. God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden where they can enjoy all that God has created, but there's one tree that God says, don't eat from that particular tree. Satan comes to Eve in the form of a snake, Satan twists God's word and leads Eve into disobeying and eating the fruit from the tree that God had forbidden. Eve says to Adam, man, you gotta try this. And Adam does and instantly everything changes. Genesis chapter three, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Reminder, we're talking about God's design for men. So when we look at that passage from Genesis chapter three, we say, what is there to learn about God's design for men in that? Why did God ask Adam where he was? how he discovered that he was naked, and if he had eaten the fruit. Why did God ask Adam and not Eve? The text makes it clear that, that God was holding Adam accountable for both himself and for Eve. God didn't address Eve initially for her decision to eat the fruit. He called out Adam. What's the implication? Adam should have taken some kind of initiative to guard, to keep, to shield Eve from eating from the tree. Should he've tackled her, you know, there in the garden? I don't know. Should he've kicked the serpent in the head? Should Adam have simply intervened and said, and said, Eve, step away from the tree. This is not the fruit you're looking for. This is not the fruit you're looking for. Thank you, I appreciate that. Um, I don't know, but somehow somehow, God went to Adam for the choice that Eve made, as well as for the subsequent choice that he made. Fast forward, go to Ephesians chapter five. Again, looking at scripture for God's design for men. Paul says this to the church in Ephesus. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence, for Christ, he says that to everyone. And then in verse 25 he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Verse 33, however, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. There's clear teaching from Paul that husbands are to love their wives with a sacrificial love, a daily death to themselves for the sake of their wives. Hear me in this. This is not just a willingness to die for your wife. It's a daily choice to die for your wife. Not stop breathing, you know, be put in the, the casket kind of death, but a death to your own desires, to your own wants, to your own needs for your wife. Paul is describing a selfless love, a sacrificial love. God hardwired that into men. Uh, you, you can't love your wife as Christ loved the church with that sacrificial love without being very deliberate about it. Sacrifice never happens accidentally. Selfish love, the kind of love that says, hey, what's in it for me? That's easy. It's easy for us to live that way. Selfless love can only happen by preparing ahead and determining the choices that you'll make before you ever encounter the situation where you have to make that choice. It's thinking ahead, living that sacrificial love out in your brain and the choices that you make. Go to First Peter chapter 3 where Peter is, is talking to the church and he says this, husbands in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives, be considerate as you live with your wives, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Paul taught that the husband's spiritual well-being, his spiritual life is impacted by the way that he interacts with his wife. There's a consideration, a mutual admiration, a respect, a humility. Did you see up there, look, at, look there, heirs with you. God's called you in this together um, that fuels that relationship. This is not a picture, First Peter 3, of disengagement of the husband who says, bring me my slippers and my iPad so I can sit in my recliner and watch football for the next six hours, all right? It's not that picture at all. It's not the picture of a, of a guy that says, you know what? I'm going to the casino with my buddies for the weekend. I'll see you on Sunday night. Instead, it's a continual investment in his wife, a studying of his wife. It's not just understanding what she wants and needs. It's living that out on a daily basis. So what's God's design for men, for masculinity? I want to give you three words out of those scriptures that we just looked at that I think are timely for us today in the culture in which we live. These three words are not exhaustive. They don't capture every character quality that God designed to be present in the life of a man, but they are specific and they flesh out those scriptures that we've just looked at about God's design for men. They speak directly to our current time and place in culture. Those three words are, before I get there. I can hear the question that you're asking already in your mind, maybe that you're writing down into your phone for the podcast for this next week. Is God's design just for married men? All those scriptures kind of pointed that way. What if, what if I'm single, what if I'm a teenager? Are these qualities a, bl- a blueprint for both who I am and who I need to become? Do, do these qualities that you're gonna tell me, do they apply at home for me as a husband and that's all? Do they apply for me as a dad as I interact with my kids? Does God's design for men, does that apply to me with the soccer team that I coach? Does it it impact how I work at my job? Does it apply for me in my life group here at North Point? And maybe, maybe the most important question, does God's design encompass how I relate to the seven cutest grandkids in the world? Are they great or what? Here's my best understanding to all of those questions. The answer is yes. God's design for men starts in the Garden of Eden when the only relationships that exist are Adam, Eve, and God. But it's clearly fleshed out in the New Testament in the context of marriage and family and in the church. And there's going to be more on that in week four of this series. While scripture doesn't talk a lot about how men or women operate in the work arena, except to say that they're to live as disciples of Jesus, I think God's design for men transcends every area of their life, in their home, in their marriage, in the marketplace, in the community. So what are the three words that capture God's design for men? Did I say again that these are not exhaustive, okay? But they are biblical. Here are the the three words. God designed men to be intentional, relational, and engaged. Responsible and engaged. Intentional, responsible, and engaged. Men, you are not designed to be passive, distant, or emotionally numb. You are not designed to give more attention to an Xbox than to the living, breathing people who are part of your life, who are created in the image of God. You are designed to be intentional, responsible, and engaged. Engaged means that you're having face-to-face conversations, that you are experiencing both joy and sorrow with the people that God has placed in your life. You're not ignoring, you're not checking out, You're not going through the motions each day. Engaged means that you know who your kids' teachers are by name. And you know what grades your kids are getting in each of their classes. Engaged means that you know how much your family spends at the grocery and eating out. And you know how much money is in the checking account and how that impacts that. It means that you know as much about the emotional well-being of the people in your life as you do about the stats from yesterday's football games. Engaged. Intentional means that there's purpose in your engagement. You're thinking about the power of your words and your actions ahead of time. You're anticipating obstacles and you're finding ways to overcome them. You're planning times of celebration and fun for the people in your life. You're thinking beyond the immediate issues that are right in front of you. It means that you set the nightly schedule so you can put your kids to bed and pray with them. It means that you're taking initiative to give your word and to honor it, to arrive arrive home when you say you will, to finish projects when you say that you will, and that you're not procrastinating and hoping that somebody else picks up the pieces. Intentional. Responsible means that you own your own decisions and the impact that they have on others. Responsible means that you act with wisdom instead of impulsively. Responsible means that you don't avoid decisions and hope they solve themselves, you handle them. Responsible means that you clean up your messes and that you protect and refine your character. Just so we're clear, Am I saying that women don't need to be engaged, intentional, and responsible? The ladies are going, woohoo! it's party time, right? Not at all. That's crazy. Those are traits of, of part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. But what I'm saying, and, and don't miss this, is this is part of how God hardwired men. It's part of God's fingerprint on them. And those traits transcend marriage relationship. Men, God's design for you is to be intentional, responsible, and engaged as a husband, as a father, as a stepfather, as a grandfather. You need to be intentional, responsible, and engaged here at North Point in the body of Christ. God did not design you to be passive in your relationships with other disciples. Paul said, Paul said, "Right, if, if anyone desires to be an elder in the church, he desires a good thing. And then he spells out, this is what it looks like. He gave a blueprint for how that could happen. Man, we need to be intentional, responsible, engaged here at church. We need to be intentional, responsible, engaged in our work environments. Understand, God has called you to the place where you work. He's called you to the people that you work with. He's called you to the tasks that you're entrusted with. What if you're you're working from home? Your job has you isolated. You can still be intentional, responsible, and engaged. You can find ways to add to the value of your employer, your industry. You can think ahead about what needs to be done and tackle those things. You can engage engage people, even from a distance, through email, um, through text, whatever it is. Um, you can you can become more than a digital IP code. You can work so that even if no one else sees what you're doing in the moment, the glory of God shines through you, and you sense His pleasure for what you've done. Guys, if you're single, whether that's for a season or for a lifetime, God has designed you to be intentional, responsible, and engaged. Live that out at North Point. Live that out in your work. Live that out in your extended family relationships. Live that out in your friendships. Teens, God has hardwired you to be intentional, responsible, and engaged. That means that you don't just drift through middle school or high school. It means that you don't do the bare minimum if you're working at McDonald's. It means that you don't use girls and toss them aside it means that you find mentors to help you become intentional, responsible, and engaged. Men, intentional, responsible, and engaged means that you're not passive. It means that you're not dominating. This design from God does not create arrogant, self-serving bullies or weak, uninspired men who move through life propelled by other people's choices or random circumstances. Men, our natural design, our our natural desire, our natural desire is not to be intentional, responsible, or engaged. Our natural desire, guys, is for comfort, control, and significance. While, While we may not build idols of metal or stone, it's easy for us to worship the significance we find in our accomplishments, it's easy for us to worship the control we think that we can create by making everyone in our lives do what we want. My, my wife, my boss, my neighbors, my kids, nobody's gonna tell me what to do. It's easy to worship that kind of control. That's not God's design for men. What's, what's our foundational principle for this series, for this message? When God is our desire, when we seek him first, we can trust his design. The difficult part of this series, as Jake mentioned last week, is that too often, God is a desire for us, but not the desire of our lives. Yeah we want God, but we want to be in control. Yeah we want God, but we want comfort. Yeah we want God, but we want people to look at us and think that we're successful. Yeah we want God, and we love our wife and kids but we don't want our choices to be defined by them. We don't want to give up our rights and freedoms. We know what's best for us. Jesus said, you can't have it both ways. He said, you want to be my disciple? Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Jesus said, find the pearl of great price. Sell everything that you have to obtain it. Jesus said, if you want to save your life, you have to lose it. God is our desire, we can trust his design. Rachel Gilson had another great quote from her book. She said, when we sit as judges over God's design, we make ourselves God. We say, I will be the one to determine if this is right. I'm smart enough, trustworthy enough to do so. I have what it takes to determine if this is good or not. You know what's absolutely crazy? When we live in God's design for us, we come alive. All of a sudden, the world opens up to us in a way it never has before because we're living the way that God designed us to do, to to live. Men, if you're discouraged, if you're depressed, if you're down, if you have this sense that life is a drudgery and kind of hopeless, you're just going through the same stuff all the time until you die, begin to live in God's design. Start each day by asking, God, would you show me today, would you show me today what it looks like to live intentionally, responsibly, and engaged in my spiritual life, in my relationships, in my work? And every time the Holy Spirit nudges you to take responsibility, to be engaged, to think ahead and be intentional, say, yes. I'll do what you're you're saying, Holy Spirit. How, how will that, or what will happen? You will experience purpose and satisfaction and worth and accomplishment. Your relationship with your wife, with your kids, with your boss, with your coworkers, with your life group, it will become dramatically different. Pursuit of any design other than the one that God made for us will not bring lasting fulfillment. When, when, we, when we take the place of God and we say, I know what's best for me, and we avoid the way that God has designed us, um, it will not bring lasting fulfillment. Guys, do you want to be a he-man, woman, hater kind of a guy? Do you want to be a rock that no one can penetrate? Do you want to be large and in charge? Do you want to be crazy wealthy in the envy of everyone that you know? Do you want to live by your rules and simply tolerate your wife and kids? You can do that, but it will not lead to a fulfilled life. You may experience some pleasure, but it will be fleeting. You won't experience lasting joy and satisfaction. And everyone whose life you come into contact with will be denied knowing what could have been had you lived according to God's design. There is a purpose in God's design for us men. It protects us from devastation. It, it frees us to live in an incredible way. Listen, listen to how the scripture describes what happened when Adam drifted from God's design. This is Genesis three. To Adam, God said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is, this is what's gonna happen. Cursed is the ground because, because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. The ground's going to produce thorns and thistles. You will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. Until you return to the ground, since, it, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Verse 23. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. We don't have, I don't think we have any concept of how devastating it was for Adam and Eve to walk outside of God's design, to be in the perfect context in relationship with God, in relationship with each other, able to just enjoy everything that God had created. And when they sinned, when they drifted from God's design, all that was gone. It became just a, just an image of what could have been. Guys, don't, don't try and chart your own course because the people that you love will be denied what God could do in and through you all the brokenness that exists in our world is not because that's what God wanted. It's not what God created. Sin created this this rift, this chasm between Adam and Eve and God, and the carnage continues to grow even now. But while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus came to make everything right to restore God's design. Man, how do you live that out? It's not just by sheer willpower. It's by making God your greatest desire. When God is your desire, you can trust his design. It's by waking up each day to experience whatever comes your way, knowing that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, he lives in you. He lives in you. When God's your desire, you can trust his design. Ladies, you may be thinking, I'm pretty intentional, I'm pretty responsible, I'm pretty engaged. Does that mean I'm all messed up? Not at all. Here's what I'd ask of you. Pray for the, women, pray for the men in your life, ladies. Whether that's your husband, or your son, or your brother, or your coworker, or your dad. Pray that they would allow those characteristics to grow and develop in their lives, Satan works hard to distort, uh, to to undermine all of those qualities in men in our culture. Pray that they would be open to God's leading and that God would do the work in them and through them. And come back next Sunday, ladies, when we tackle God's design for women and pray for me this week. All right. (laughs) It may challenge what our culture teaches and expects, and that may be scary, but when God is our desire, we can trust his design. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the power of your word. God, I thank you even now for the recognition that, that uh, there's stuff going on. Conversations in our head, in our heart. Satan battling to take control of those thoughts. God, there's fear about what it means to live in your design, both for men and women. God, draw us to you, teach us, and do your work in us. And Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus, for him coming to take our sin on himself, and make everything right. In his name we pray.